Amen. You may be seated. And uh, if you are a veteran, thank you so much for serving our, our country, for willing to lay down your life so that we might continue to live in a land that is free. Watch this short sermon, bumper video, and then we'll get started with our message. Amen. That is our prayer. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be at one particular proverb today, but don't think that's where we're going to camp out. This is going to be quite a, a different message, and um, it's almost worth watching again, don't you think? But it's going to be quite a different message today. Normally, I like to stick in one particular passage and just um, keep on trucking with that one, but this is going to be kind of across the map, if you will, uh, a very unique message for the unique times in which we're living in. I would encourage you, if you use your um, electronic device and you use our Version Bible app, uh, all of my notes are there, most of my notes. The ones that I think you might need are there, and it will just really help you, I think, follow along in this message. But we're going to be talking today, as you see on the screens, what you can do for your country or what can you do for your country. And if you will, before we get into the Bible text, um, give me some pastoral freedom if you will. The, the older I get, um, boy, a lot of things change. But one of the things I really have grown to love the older I get is I love presidential speeches. Um, some of the speech writers that uh, those in office um, utilize are just really, really good. And every now and then I think, man, I, I wish I could contribute in, in a way like that. I just, I love the speech writers. Reagan has some of the best speech writers around. But the there's a particular speech as we think about this message and this day, July 4th, our nation's independence, that I want to share with you. It's not, not all of it, but if you will, give me a, a point of pastoral privilege, if you will, because this is a speech that was presented on January the 20th, 1961. And the president was John F. Kennedy, and this was a part of the speech that he, um, that he spoke on, from our nation's capital as he was inaugurated. So if you will, just give me a few moments and just listen to these words. They were true then, and they're true even today. Listen to what he said. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. Almighty God, the same solemn oath our forebearers prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now. For man holds in his hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. 
And yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe, the belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. <laughs> we dare not forget that we are the heirs of that first revolution. Like the, uh, let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans, born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. Let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and success of liberty. Now, I don't know about you, but I can hear his New England brogue, but y'all, bless your heart, are hearing my southern accent, right? Kennedy goes on, This much we pledge and more to those old allies whose cultural and spiritual origins we share, we pledge the loyalty of faithful friends. United, there is little we cannot do in a host of cooperative ventures. Divided, there is little we can do, for we dare not meet a powerful challenge at odds and split asunder. To those people in the huts and villages of half the globe struggling to break the bonds of mass misery, we pledge our best efforts to help them help themselves. For whatever period is required, not because the communists may be doing it, not because we seek their votes, but because it is right. If a free society cannot help the many who are poor, it cannot save the few who are rich. Let all neighbors know that we shall join with them to oppose aggression or subversion anywhere in the Americas. And let every other power know that this hemisphere intends to remain the master of its own house. Finally, to those nations who would make themselves our adversary, we offer not a pledge but a request that both sides begin anew the quest for peace before the dark powers of destruction unleashed by science engulf all humanity in planned or accidental self-destruction. We dare not tempt them with weakness, for only when our arms are sufficient beyond doubt can we be certain beyond doubt that they will never be employed. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. Let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring those problems that divide us. Let both sides seek to invoke the wonders of science instead of its terrors. Together, let us explore the stars, conquer deserts, eradicate disease, tap the ocean depths, and encourage the arts and commerce. And then listen to this, he's quoting scripture. Let both sides unite to heed in all the corners of the earth the command of Isaiah to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free. In your hands, my fellow citizens, more than mine, will rest the final success or failure of our course. Since this country was founded, each generation of Americans has been summoned to give testimony to its national loyalty the graves of young Americans who answered the call to service around the globe. Now the trumpet summons us again, not as a call to bear arms, though arms we need, not as a call to battle, though in battle we are, but a call to bear the burden of a long twilight struggle, year in and year out, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Romans 12, verse 12. A struggle against the common enemies of men, tyranny, poverty, disease, and war itself. In the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. I do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. 
Ask what you can do for your country. I, I love that speech. In fact, I love it so much that um, I don't think I had to politic for it, but um, as a 10th grader going to my first Beta Club convention, I don't know if I'm a nerd or a geek, Trey, for having said that, but we did a, um, maybe a little bit of both, but we, um, the school I went to, uh, Midland Valley, uh, we would always took part in Beta Club's talent night. We did a salute to the holidays, and guess who got to play Kennedy with that speech? But yours truly. Yeah, I kind of like that. But hey, in all seriousness, what he said then is still appropriate today. What can we do for our country? So that last phrase is where I want us to focus on this morning as we celebrate our nation's birthday. And it's been a long time since I celebrated our nation's birthday by being in church on the particular day that is July the 4th. So ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Do not seek what the government can do for you. Don't focus on what you can get from America, but what you can do for America. Listen to this. When President Biden was inaugurated, he was exactly 11 presidents away from when Kennedy was president, and yet still today, America, under any president, regardless of political party, still needs to abide and heed the words that Kennedy shared in 61. What can you do for your country? So with all that in mind, the proverb for us today that's kind of like the basis not only for this message, but I think as we unite as Christian citizens is this, and it's on the screen for us. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Say this with me. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That word reproach, we don't really use it a lot, but another word you can put in there is the word disgrace. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for America. So what I want to do in the, the remaining time I have with you today is share with you 10 things I think you can do as a Christian citizen. You know, we're not here saying, we're not here worshiping our country, although I'm very thankful I'm living in this country, aren't you? But there's some things as a Christian citizen that I think all of us can do for our country and we all can agree with. And number one is to pray for our country. Can we all agree with that? Say amen. Yeah, I think all of us can agree that we should be praying for our country. So I call upon every member of our church, maybe perhaps more than ever before, to unite our hearts and minds together and we pray for our country. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah told the people of God, the Jewish people, who were in exile in Babylon, a very wicked nation, a place they did not want to be. They asked the question, well, what in the world should we be doing since we're there? And he gives them these words over in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. He says, but, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. I, he's saying, I know you don't like being in Babylon. It's a wicked, wicked city, wicked, wicked people rather. But while you're there, you seek the welfare of the people of Babylon and the place of Babylon and, and God will bless you for it. There is nothing wrong with you and me as Christian citizens knowing that we've got a greater citizenship in heaven, right? But there's nothing wrong with you and me praying that God will bless America. I think that's something we all can agree on. And whether we voted for particular people or not that serve us as leaders in public office, we need to pray for those individuals. We read over in 1 Timothy these words, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life that is godly and dignified in every way. 
I, I can look you square in the eye and tell you this. While I don't pray for them every single day, there's other things that I have a, a list of things I like to pray for daily. I will tell you this, quite frequently, regularly, I pray for those in leadership over me. I pray for our elected officials. I would rather have somebody in the White House in the Oval Office that I may not agree with than have a nobody in the Oval Office and have an anarchy in the streets. So we need to more than ever, I think, pray for our country. But then another thing you can do as a Christian citizen is to prioritize family. Now, as, as our families are strong, our nation's going to be strong. And if families are weak, guess what? Our nation is going to be weak. If our families and marriages are righteous, our country will be righteous. And if they're unrighteous and sinful, so goes the nation. So as the family goes, so goes America. And I think we got a great picture of what a healthy, godly family looks like in so many different places in Scripture. But one of the places that I see are just a really beautiful picture of a godly family that God would be honored with is found over in Colossians chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. A lot of scripture I'm giving you, but I'll put them on the screen for you. Here's what the text says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So when we have wives that respect their husbands, and husbands that love their wives as Christ loved the church, and parents who are not just trying to give their kids everything they want, but trying to bring them up in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. And when we have kids who are not rebellious, but respect the authority of their parents, and God will see a family in which he can bless America. That's the kind of family that we should aim for. If we want to help America, we ought to prioritize the family. Here's the third thing you can do to be a blessing to your country, and that is to work for a living work for a living. God did not create man to be lazy. He created us to work. Some will say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, work is punishment for a man's sin. Uh, I would say, ah, contraire. Y'all don't know I could speak French, did you? Ah, contraire. <laughs> uh, sin didn't come uh, till after work. Sin came in Genesis 3. Work was there in Genesis 2, way before Adam and Eve ever got in trouble. Adam was taking care of the garden. So, if we are physically and if we're mentally capable, we ought to be working for a living. Neither the government nor the church owes anyone anything if they are physically and mentally able to work, but they're just too lazy to work. So, bottom line, if you're capable, you ought to work. The Bible says these words over in 1 Thessalonians. It says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat for we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work but busy bodies now such persons we command and encourage in the lord jesus christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living you know one of my prayers is for our country is that god would raise up uh, workers for the jobs that i think god wants to give us if we would only be a people that would be willing to work so what can you do for your country 
work for a living. Y'all still with me? Say amen if you are. All right, hadn't offended you, I hope. So here's, here's the fourth thing we can do for our country. If we want to be Christian citizens and we want the best for our country, we ought to be involved in the church. We ought to be involved in God's church. Our country needs Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches that are growing and that are strong. You will never hear this on the 6 o'clock news, or maybe you will on the 6 o'clock news, but not on the 7 o'clock news or the 6.30 news, whether. The church provides the moral fiber and the backbone and the spiritual insight and the conscience of the state. And so the nation may not ever say we need the church, but can I tell you something? The nation needs the church. Bible-believing churches do more good and do more help to help a nation's spiritual needs than any other institution. So you ought to be involved in a church. And if you're a part of this church, hey, praise the Lord. We want you involved in the life of your church here. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, as you see Christ coming again, as you see that day approaching. So, so there again, I've told you this more than once, but here's what I expect of you. If I could, if I could draw out a game plan for, for our church family, I want you to be faithful in church attendance. I want you to be faithful as much as you can. Now, I know Jesus took a break. Jesus would often retreat to the mountains, and, and that's, that's great. I love the fact that he that he did that, he, and, and I want to imitate him in that regard, quite literally, be honest with you every now and then, I want to get, get away to the mountains. It's all right to take breaks, you need to go on vacations with your family, but, um, but I really just have a heart for you to be in church. You should have that heart, to be faithful in your church attendance. Y'all know how, what the faithfulness of some people are when it comes to church today? They, they consider themselves a regular church attendee if they come about once or twice a month. That's really lowering the bar, in my opinion. But, but really, if you were to ask me, what is my dream and my goal for you, is to be faithful in your church attendance, to find a small group to be a part of. Hey, it's great for us to come together in a corporate setting like this and worship, but there's something special and intimate about a small group that you can be a part of, whether it meets on Sunday morning in the traditional Sunday school hour or throughout the rest of the week, be a part of a small group, and then find at least one ministry where you can serve. That's the ideal for me when it comes to being a, a member of a local church. So what can you do for your country? Be involved in your local church. And then something else you can do for your country is to love your fellow man. As Christians, we're to, we're to love one another. We're commanded to love one another, and we're commanded to love all people all the time. Uh, yeah, it it, it kind of just gets all over my, my nerves, to be honest with you. There's a lot of things that do, but I'll just tell you this how can somebody say they're a Christian when they don't have love in their heart for somebody else? And I know that some people don't act like us, look like us, dress like us, talk like us, but you know what? They're children made in the image of God. And if he created them, I want to love them just as much as he does. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love them, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You know, I love that little catchphrase we have here, here at our church. You know, loving God, loving people. That's what we all got to be about. We want to love God, right? Shape of the cross. We want to love God. We want to love people. We want to love others. And you know what? If we're a church that really believes that, I think God's going to bless us. And I think he already has, but I think he'll continue blessing us. Now, here's the question. But preacher, I know. But what about the people I just don't agree with? I just don't like to be around them. So I, I get it. I get you. Can y'all tell I like to have fun every now and then when I preach? All right. Y'all with me? 
What about those people that we may not agree with all the time? Well, the Bible's got an answer. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. So whether we like it or not, God loves all people. He doesn't love their sin, but he loves the sinner. And we're no more like the sinner who happens to live in sin. Uh, not on the screen, but for God so loved the world. And that's good enough for me. If he loved the world, I need to love the world as well. Because he gave his one and only begotten son for them. So one way we emulate our father in heaven is to love the people he created in his image. We don't love their sin, but we love the sinner. So, we, so how in the world can we be mean to someone and justify it? Because it's certainly not something God would do. Can I just tell you this from this pulpit? All lives matter. Every single life matters because every single life is made in the image of God. So if you want to be a blessing to America, love your fellow man. But then number six, minister to the least of these. I know what some of y'all are thinking. Wow, he's already at point six. He had ten things he was going to say. I thought I was going to be here for hours. No, I'm a merciful pastor. Every now and then. <laughs> so number six, we're already at six. Hallelujah, praise God. That's what some of you are. Right? Number six, minister to the least of these. In other words, minister to the down and out. Minister to the hurting. That's who we're to minister to. A lot of scriptures are going to be on the screen next, but watch these with me. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you? When do we see you naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Hmm. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So when you care for the needy, my friends, you are ministering to the Lord, and if we don't desire to do that, we have every right to question whether we know the Lord in the first place. He wants us to have a heart that is soft and that has a willingness to help others that are the least of these. If you want to make America great, look out for those that are hurting. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Don't spend all your paycheck on yourself after you, uh, you set aside your tithe. NB, amen to that. You set aside your tithe. Don't spend all your paycheck on yourself. Use it to pay some of the bills that you've got that you need to provide for your family. And then seek how you can be a blessing to others. So what can you do for America? Minister to the least of these. And then number seven, take care of your finances. Take care of your finances. If you want to help the least of these, which is point number six, you've got to be able to do number seven, which is to take care of your finances. Have y'all ever thought how God gives us money? Aren't you glad that he does? And I know some of you think, well, I just wish you'd give me a little bit more. Don't we all? But hey, he gives us money a lot of times, I think, to test us. Like, well, what are we going to do with that? They're going to boil it on themselves again. I have been guilty of that, just like I know y'all have. But I think the way we use money says a lot about our relationship to, with, with the Lord. I mean, do we consider the money and the things that he gives us as ours? Are we the owners of that, or are we the stewards of it? I hope it's the latter, that we're the stewards of it. One of the most powerful things, you know, Jesus spoke a lot about money. He spoke a lot about finances, and he was poor on this earth, materially speaking. But one of the most powerful things he says about finances is found over in Luke's gospel. And here's what we read. 
One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Jesus is basically telling us, gathered here today and for all that have read this passage of Scripture, if you're faithful in your finances, listen to this, if you're faithful, I can bless you. I may bless you. I will bless you. But if you're not faithful, hmm, I won't. So what do you do with your finances? Where you tie to your local church, that's where you start. Hey, listen to this. I know I've heard people say stuff like this. Well, I can't afford to do that. (laughs) God can do more to bless you with your 90% if you give him 10% than you can if you had all 100% to yourself. You say, I don't believe it. Well, come, come see me because I can testify. What's interesting, guys, I know I get too personal sometimes, but here I go again. I remember uh, growing up as we would walk out the door to the carport. You know, we didn't have a garage. We had a carport. I was very thankful we had a carport. And we had a garage door there. And let me tell you, kids, what I used to love to do. I had a big wheel. Y'all remember those big wheels? You had that little brake on the slide. And on the side, you pull that brake up, you can spin out. I tore that garage door down, I don't know how many times. Thank the world for Mr. Wilson would always put it back up. But here's what I remember on Sunday mornings, how faithful my mother was to write out her tithe check to the church based off her paycheck that she got that week from the mill. And what really blew my mind the older I got is when I would look in her checkbook as she wrote that check and thought, why are you giving? Gosh, you don't have anything to give. But can I tell you something we never went without? God will take care of you. Test him in that. So you tithe your income, live on a budget, avoid as much debt as possible, pay cash as much as possible, have a plan to get out of debt, save for your future needs, and then as the Spirit prompts you, give to others and be a blessing to them. It's more blessed to give than to what? Receive, yeah. So take care of your finances. Hey, this really blows my mind. Americans spend a buck twenty-five. On every dollar they earn, they spend a dollar twenty-five. The government can get away with doing stuff like that. They won't let us. It'll all catch up with us at some point. So what could really be a blessing to our country is if we would take care of our finances. All right, number eight. I like this one. Share the gospel. Say it with me. Share the gospel. Hey, what's the gospel? It's the good news, right? The message never changes. How we tell the message surely changes. But the message never changes. So open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. Be as be a soul winner. I love these, ver- these verses here I'm about to share with you. Acts 8.35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told people the good news of Jesus. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Hey, who knows? If, you, if, if we were to openly share the gospel, Think about this. Those three kids that made salvations this week because we gave of our time and energy for vacation Bible school, when we openly and verbally share the gospel, get this, you might be leading somebody. God might allow you to lead somebody to the Lord. It's the most exciting experience I've ever had in my life. But whenever that happens for you, you might be leading somebody that could be the president of the United States one day and he would be a believer, he or she, all right? A Supreme Court, you might even be leading the next Billy Graham to faith in Jesus. So openly share the gospel. That's one thing you can do for your country. Number nine, 
Oh, I forgot that one. Number nine, make disciples. Let's move on. Make disciples. Once we lead people to Christ, we need to baptize them, and then we need to disciple. The Bible says over in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. So just like a newborn baby is cared for and tended to, we should take care of and tend to those that come to faith in Christ. It's up to me, it's up to you to bring people along. I would encourage those of you that are a little bit older than me, you know, always find somebody that you can disciple that might be younger than yourself, somebody like me or somebody like my kids. We all need to be bringing somebody the decade behind us along. And we can help you do that. You know, we've got enough staff here, Mitre and Robert, we can teach you how to do that. That's our game plan. And you'll hear more about that as we go into the fall months. So don't, here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't say, hey, see you next Sunday. And we're thinking, gosh, we hope they get right with Jesus throughout the week. They spend time with, with the Lord in Bible study and prayer. No, he wants us to disciple these individuals. Hey, you say, well, what, what does that really look like? It, you could be teaching them how to pray. You can be teaching them doctrine. You can be teaching them how it's blessing to, for them to give. You can teach them about spiritual disciplines. The Bible says over in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. America will be so blessed if the church really takes to heart the matter of discipling others. If you were to ask me how has the church failed, not this church, but the church in general, how have we failed? At least in my generation, for my lifetime, how have we failed those that are, that are my age and maybe younger. I really think we failed to disciple. I could argue that later on, but that's for another time and another sermon. I want to let y'all out pretty soon, right? All right. Y'all didn't, didn't know whether to laugh at that or not, but anyway. <laughs> but we really need to disciple. That will be a blessing to our country. And then number 10, strive to live a holy life. If you're saved you're filled with the Spirit who enables you to live a holy life. Let me say that again. If you're saved, you're filled with the Spirit who enables you to live a holy life. The Bible says examine yourselves and see whether you're in the faith. You know, test yourselves. It doesn't mean you remember walking the aisle, although there's nothing wrong with that, but if there's no victory in your life, if there's no desire to read the Bible, if there's no desire to ever go to church, if you don't love the people of God, if there's no fruit in your life, there could be because there's no root in your life. That prayer you pray didn't take. If you don't love the things of God, more than likely you don't know Jesus. The proof is in the fruit, and where there is no root, there's no fruit. Let me say that again because I think that's good. The proof is in the fruit. And where there is no root, there's no fruit. So I would encourage you, if you want to be a blessing to America, first and foremost, invite Jesus into your heart. And it doesn't mean you're going to live from there on out without sin, but what it does mean is that when you do sin, you, you're not going to be enjoying it that very long. And you'll come to a place where you want to repent. So, so, so be saved and come to the Lord, repent of your sins, confess them as Lord, and be filled with the Spirit. But we need more people that love Jesus. Amen? How different our country would be if we had hot, hottest souls for Jesus. We read over in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. We've all seen people that have been drunk before. They walk differently. They act differently. They talk differently. They, they just do a whole lot of things differently. Can I tell you something? When you get saved, we ought to be different. Our walk, our talk, our actions, everything about us ought to be different because we're filled with the Spirit. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you're going to be able to live a holy life. And I love this verse here that follows up with that. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You don't get saved because you're holy. You're holy because you have been saved. So those are ten things I think we can do for our country. Now, as we close up today, a little bit different, if you will, I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We've been celebrating our God and our country today. You just heard ten things you can do for to be a blessing to our country. But what I want us to do, whether you voted for them or not, I want us to bow our heads, and I want us to lead us in a prayer as we pray for those that um, are serving us as leaders. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you command us to pray for those in authority over us. So Father, would you hear our prayers this morning? As we celebrate our nation's uh, Independence Day, Lord, I pray for our president. I pray for our vice president. I pray for our leaders in Congress. We pray for our state officials, our justices on all levels. Lord, we pray for our mayors. We pray for all those in leadership over us. Lord, I pray that a righteousness might be in their hearts. Lord, set us free from the sinfulness here that we see here in America that is just so prevalent. Lord, help us to strive to live lives that are godly. Bless our leaders. Give them peace. Give them guidance. We pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Hey, we're celebrating our country. We're thankful that God's allowed us to be here so as we did in Vacation Bible School, will you say the Pledge of Allegiance with me? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And then if you would say with me the Pledge of the Christian Flag, I pledge allegiance to the Christian Flag and to the Savior, for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all Christians in service and love. And now I want us to pledge allegiance to the Bible, and if you will give me a minute, I want to hold my Bible so we can say our pledge of allegiance to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and I will hide its word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Y'all know every now and then I like to sing. I can't sing like Trey. He makes me sick. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but, uh, but I want us to sing one of my favorite songs when I think of God and country. So, um, so we're going to sing it. Diane, you start us off. We're going to follow you. I don't want to follow me. So we're going to follow you. Let's sing.
thank God for allowing us to live in the United States of America. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this day that we can just celebrate the fact we are American Christian citizens. Lord, we thank you for the kingdom of God, though, that is so much bigger and so much greater than America. Lord, I thank you that the kingdom of God was bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. And our loyalty is ultimately to him. So, Lord, I thank you for the dream and I thank you for the vision that is America. Preserve our country. May we be a godly country after your own heart.